Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the 2010 Alleluia Conference. In this session entitled, The Child's Voice, A Unique Gift, Kaya McCuller reviews techniques of correct tone production, effective procedures for warming up the body and voice, and strategies to help uncertain singers. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia. interesting to be up here and watch you because when I was singing, you were mouthing what you were singing. And children will instinctively pick out what you're talking about. So when I'm watching you all, you all are wonderful singers. Let me let me Lulu Lulu through the phrase just one more time and you tell me where we have to go.
I would, if I had time today, which we don't, but we could bring Chuck down to cover it, talk about the form, talk about everything that you want to talk about, but it's not time. It's easy to hear the alike, the alike phrases. Sometimes the ones we're talking about uh, are sometimes the ones that people have to really kind of think about and think about well, and why they're with us and think about what that means for us. Beginning to form, beginning to perform. Just very quickly, just for me to kind of have an idea of who's here and who we have on. Um, folks who work with, let's say, early childhood play and adult play, adult education programs, that's a lot of the youngest uh, and the youngest, also working with the youngest and the youngest. What about grades three through five? Five, primary, college? Um, how many of you have all grade levels together in one room? Happy to us sometimes. Um, do some of you have two two grade levels together? You have second through six. Okay, second through six. So six for you doesn't go into middle school. Doesn't no. go into youth, or it, it can. Anybody else have six grade in your room? Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Four, five, six. Are we Texans and we're doing that? Is it that way in school where you are or is it that way in high school? Okay. I'll go with that. School. Okay. So that's why charts just parallel to what goes on in school. So this is your, no, not necessarily. Okay. So your, your situation is you need six grades already in middle school? Mm -hmm. But not a church. So we're still pulling in that sixth grade group every one every once in a while. And some of us are doing this sixth year, sixth grade. It's kind of crazy. When I first started at Southwestern Seminary in 2001, children's choir there, which was the lab choir for all of the graduate and professional choirs, was grades one through three. Just as it had been grades one through three up through seven, so that we started the children's choir at Southwestern Seminary in the late 60s. And hadn't branched out on either end. And when Rhonda Bishop came after the Kegel experiment, uh, Dr. Bishop was coming in with her ABC. And when I got there, um, for some reason, we had graduate students who wanted to bring their younger children, who were four and five year olds, to the you know to the choir. And then we had parents and children who were growing up past that first through seventh grade age and wanted to continue with school. When I got to seminary, we had parents who wanted four and fives, and we had parents who wanted to grow up and have their own children. And so, all in one room, I'm not sure <laughs> that that's possible. But we started out with adding the grades for four, five, and six. That was a little bit easier than pulling in fours and fives and adults. So, maybe we can do that. And I actually found one more space for the children. So, the older children rehearsed in another space, all the younger children rehearsed in the large room on the second floor in Stoughton Hall. And we rehearsed separately, but we performed together. And that worked well for us. And finally, at the very, very gentle, but um, <coughs> consistent persuasion of a lot of the graduate students who were in the music department, please, can my four and five year olds come to class? You know, their siblings are there. They don't understand why a teacher from another <coughs> is something different on top of them. And so we did that. They're going to be four and five year olds by the time they get here. And so now we can perform four year olds but it works, and it works well in this room. Part of the reason it works, probably, 
is because that was a lab situation for all the anesthetists. And I had good supervisors then who were helping me in the heart surgery. You all don't necessarily have that experience. In public school politics, which my, I came out of many of years of public school politics, so I'm going less than 20 years in public school. We know that in the classroom we're it. <laughs> it's one person. And you do everything. So I think the beauty of why it worked at San Diego was that it was a stable, stable, stable lot of anesthetists. And none children died as a result of it. Um, we were never able to find a third place at the facility. And for poor health, that was very hard. I mean, there were just times when I was sad. And I had that bad news that I was really sick and I had to go home. <coughs> and we came together. The older kids could learn the higher parts. They could learn the they could learn the tough things that went with the anesthetist. The younger ones really not so much. And it was pretty impressive. So some of you probably find yourselves in those kind of situations where you have the opportunity or the luxury of the personal trip to San Diego for your child. Um, this is the very reason the middle school is important. We don't want kids driving off the street in those scenarios. And we have more compassion for those kids. And you know why we do that in our school. <laughs> because it works. But we, all, we put them in really tough places. So the rehearsal session is a lesson for the children as well because they need to be put in places where they can learn how to do that. Um, is there anybody that didn't get hand up? Hand raised who you want to. curious when I find some of the greetings and the closings, I will just tell you a lot of the music that I guess I've used historically is no longer in print, but a lot of it's from print on demand, and you can talk, of course, with somebody else. So the little Let's Get Acquainted piece that I just used um, is in, and some of you may know where this is, it's a church in Australian Park, in this little tiny pickle tune for little people. Do some of you recognize this book? Maybe you just haven't pulled it out in a while. Wonderful, wonderful choices. So it's got some greetings in here. Um, it's got some closings, which will also run and that sort of thing. I just will use is this that, book. Is that the one with the Noah's Ark? It's got Noah's Ark in it. Mm -hmm. It's got Noah's Ark. Oh, it's got wonderful things. Um, and all kinds of animal things, all kinds of special day songs, many, many songs about God and Jesus and that sort of thing. But just a, a variety of things. And it actually says... I mean, it's, it says little people because it's intended originally for preschool and first and second grade. I use it for all grades. I mean, I, a greeting song like that, you can do with four different kids. <coughs> kids just can't learn the same stuff that they learn from each other. So some of the things I may mention may be out of print, but if you'll talk to sources here, they can make it in print on demand. Those of you that have that little book, remember that it has a coloring book and an activity book that goes with it. So if you, you can pull both those things in. There's the music, here's the activity, and you can get both of those because they'll print on demand. Um, in a minute, I'm going to work through the agenda, but in a minute I brought ancillary resource materials down here just by mistake. And I'll at least tell you what's down here. I didn't put them all out over on that table because I just 
to make them wonder, okay, am I supposed to pick this up or does she want me to hand it to her or whatever? Um, I'll show you in just a minute what's down here. And at the end of any of the sessions, if you feel like that there are materials down here that would be helpful to you, be helpful to anyone else at church that may be coordinating the choir program, you want to be sure to use it for whatever, um, just come up. Because I made many, many copies of some of these things down here. They weren't exactly germane to the topics we were talking about, but I at least wanted you all to know that they're there and mission times is um, a unique gift for child's voice. Um, choir voice and singing so important. Uh, just a little bit of background. First of all, the Bible asks us to sing. Many scriptures will ask us to do that. Uh, just a couple taking point. Exodus 15, 1 through 18. Talking about Moses and his wife Miriam. Uh, singing, encouraging each other to sing. Lots of references to singing in that passage in Exodus. And then, of course, Colossians 3.16, and we're very familiar with that. Sing psalms, hymns, and praises to God in the Spirit with thanksgiving in your hearts. We use Colossians 3.16 in several of the scriptures in New Testament to help us fill in the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs, particularly with what we're doing in worship and most of our praises to God. And it pretty much encompasses every reason why we want to sing to God. Secondly, singing is a lifelong musical you wouldn't be here, probably, if you didn't want to sing, and if you didn't want to encourage children to have a registry that can sing with them or learn with them. Those of us that have been fortunate enough to maybe be around musical parents or around teachers or adjacent to church, where we were encouraged to sing from very, very young ages, have continued to sing. Now, that doesn't mean we went into that as a career. It does. Some of us do. Some of us don't. It is still and um, it's just a wonderful, lifelong activity. One of the healthiest thing, things we can do for ourselves <coughs> is our prayer time, okay? Because it involves the Spirit and it involves God and it's just wonderful. So, lifelong musical activity. Singing provides a sense of belonging and community. Yes, we have worship teams that sing and choirs that lead by the one arm alone, but the majority of our singing is for us as we join up In evangelical denominations, singing is the central way that you relate to God and to other people. So important that we get that up to front very early. And singing is just a wonderful means of supporting and clarifying God's word. So it's a skill that needs to be developed. And almost all children can learn to sing comfortably and in tune with the help of a trained and refined leader. We have to be willing to help every child develop his Other facts about the voice, probably because I've been a voice teacher for so many years. Um, at the college level, I have nearly always brought voice and musical along with me. Um, I am now at my fourth Baptist institution in Texas, in terms of being on faculty there. Um, I've been at University of Marylandale and at NJC twice, uh, two different times. And then my husband and I were both on the mission faculty at Wayland Baptist University in Columbia for many years. Had to look at <laughs> very seriously, and I 
in all truth, I absolutely loved seminary, but I was missing doing people's preparations and getting prepared for people's presentation. That is what is in my blood. That's what I had so many years of teaching elementary, middle school. I was never a high school choral director. I left that up to him. But lots of voice teaching for him, lots of playing for the first half of middle school until I feel like that I had the high school choral experience even though I was not at the time producing choirs. And that's when my dad, he was, we, we were partners in that undertaking. So having been a voice teacher and thinking about that choreography and having also personally had very positive um, experiences in terms of voice teachers and voice seminary and having personally had wonderful experiences studying voice uh, at various levels. And some of that can actually come at the graduate level and sometimes it takes years of experience at a graduate level and you can come in with your own ideas. I tell my college students, there are a lot of things we learned not to do. We learned to do a lot of things well but then there's things that we learn not to do in teaching and in working with children. And we sometimes learn those things out of our own experience. So all those experiences have taught me a few things just about the voice. I would just like to mention that. Um, the universal nature of the voice, we all have one. Now, they're not all the same quality. They're not all the same creation and all that. Um, that doesn't worry me. Unless there's been physiological or psychological trauma, we all and partly um, because we do, it's very personal. Voice is very personal. And most, those of you that study a lot of voice and bring a lot of children to you realize that if anyone says anything to you about this instrument, <laughs> you take it to them. Um, so I think we're very, very careful, particularly in working with young children, that our encouragement and our teaching is accurate. And we try to do it in a Yes, you're going to have those children very young that are still struggling to match the voice. But that's okay, because they will learn to match their own voice in time. It's rare that we have a child that gets into the later elementary years and isn't matching the voice pretty well. So we need <coughs> the right kind of encouragement, the right kind of support, the right kind of partnerships, hopefully, between the school and their child's parents. And I would like to say that in public school and private school, we see our children more often through music than we do at church. I don't know if you're like us, but we stop for one hour a week of that 45 minutes a week to keep quiet, and there were times when I was quiet and I could rest and I could spiritually read scripture and all that, but we need to slow down. We'd like to think that the public schools are more active than they are, and they need to be more active than they are, and they need to make the effort to slow down for a minute and get married elementary and middle school to see their students. I have children one time a week for 45 minutes a week. Which is exactly. At that grade level. And, and, and then of course they also have art. So they do art for 45 minutes on another day. So music is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And we used to think that that was unusual. But as times have changed, as we've had more choices in the curriculum, as schedules have changed, as we have more interest in our children and accountability and all the things that are involved with that, we don't always see our students as much in the schedules that we wish they had in school. So we've got to make that time more together with them for his elementary music specials one time a week for 45 minutes. Very, very short and very, very simple. The whole business of teaching bell to bell that we talked about.
personal in nature. And the other thing, also a sense of mystery behind it. Right? it it's universal. We've all, we all have one. And it's personal. If anyone says anything to us about the voice, we have to say it. But there's also a sense of mystery behind it. It is not one of those musical instruments you can just sit and play. You know, we can't look at it like a tuning keyboard. We can't look at the mechanism like we can clarinet and flute or trombone or percussion or many of those things. And because of that, there's a sense of mystery in the world do we manipulate this little tiny thing that is just a personal movement that has been created by one God to express the human emotion? How do we manage that in our lifetime? Well, you all know we have a lot on the ocean here on Pine Island, not just us, but we use a lot of imagery. We use a lot of think about this, and let me suggest this to you, and then you tell me about this. And so we use a lot of pictures and images and music. But so the universality, the very personal nature, and the sense of mystery that is So no wonder when we're teaching voice to little ones, three, four, five, close to six years old, that we have this concept. What do I do? You know, what do I do with them? So this is what I do to help them find the singing voice and understand when I'm leaving them alone. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna keep doing that, I promise. Right there. Um, head voice, head tone, singing voice. Whatever terms you use, that's where we want children to be seeing the majority of their time. I'm not an opponent of children's voice. I'm a mezzo-soprano. I, I need to know how to use that, just like a lyric or a coloratura soprano needs to know how to use that. But we don't want children singing in tones of any kind. Okay, we know why. Because first of all, it's not the sound that's present to our ears. It's not the sound that's in a unison we also know that potentially when children sing in their lower registers like we do, we potentially could be undermining the rhythm and the harmony. And so the ears know what cheerleaders say some fine lines after they cheered in middle school and high school and high school musicals. Children who sing in chest voice at school usually sometimes end up singing that way. And that's why we want the voice to be seen. So that's why we emphasize top-down singing voices and the head voice, the clear, pure, focused sound that keeps the vocal cords healthy and is the characteristic of allowing children to use it. And you hand me an old song, and I will play at the beginning of some of the sessions the recordings that go with the second song that you'll find. And just besides Lifeway and the other things we have at church, are any of you familiar with those Lifeway voices at all? Or maybe we're using them more than we used to do before. Um, Come to Courses Will, actually, when you order the books and the CDs, you'll get those from one place, and then you'll get the ancillary materials. Everything else that goes with it comes from one. One comes from Lorenz, and one, come from, one comes from Courses Will, but you order it all from one place. And I still find this the best bang for my buck in terms of from both its perks and its value, just that we use all the time. And I have a lot of friends who just call it school who supplement with this. when you order, you get everything. You get the rhythm cards, you get the melody cards, you get everything all together, and then you get the CD. Mm -hmm. And it's 
They're still developing the other two levels, full grade, full time high school. That's a great start into an intermediate um, Beautiful children's songs. When you walk in, um, that's a beautiful circulation type thing that we use. Um, chest voice is that sound that we sometimes call the shouting voice or the telephone voice. When I'm working with young children in just responses, I very rarely talk about head voice and chest voice. I just talk about the singing voice and the playing voice. And I understand the difference, and we can explain it in just as in my own experience. Um, we also know that it's difficult to get up into upper ranges with singing chest voice because the chest voice can have this kind of thing, whoo, that kind of stuff, and produce a better sound and have people come in and not clear out some things. Um, many kinds of exercises to find the head voice. Um, a lot of them involve movement. The first step is understanding what that sound is like. So role modeling from you, role modeling from older siblings, older folks, maybe somebody who doesn't have a voice like you have. Uh, bringing in some of your adult choir singers who are probably parents of your children and letting them do some voice training. But more than anything else, just to have nice recordings playing with your children. So they are immersed in the sound of the voice of the child. I love that word, immersion. When we think about the little bitties, birth to two, and then two to seven, that's the first two levels that we really deal with in terms of music acquisition, language acquisition, that kind of thing. We use the word, the word immersion a little bit, just watching older people sing all the time. We don't have to even talk about it. We don't have to say the words. We don't have to say anything. Just sound is immersion. And that kind of immersion equips the inner ear for producing Foundations of proper singing. There are four. You were wondering if I was ever going to get to the agenda, and I am. That's just kind of preparation and philosophy and vocal exploration. We'll do some more of that in just a few minutes. I don't care what book you look at. If you're looking at a graduate conducting test at the college level or you pick up a book for a first grade class, we talk about the same foundations for proper singing if we're working with a three-year-old or we're working with 85-year-olds. We do the same thing. So we talk about the the first process. Um, and with your little bitties, um, we talk about posturing, we practice it. I don't make a super deal of constant reminders as I do as kids get older, but they can feel like a lot. You know, three, four, and five sounds kind of like you stand beautifully and stand regularly or sit beautifully and sit regularly. And, but a lot of times when we have choir, we're on four or on the floor. I don't know about you all, if you have your kids in studio, I've rarely been, at least at church or at seminary, in a children's choir experience where we had carpet chairs on the floor. We just put carpet chairs down, and we had something, and everybody sat on the floor. It was easier for me than everything else. But sitting on the floor and maintaining good posture for 45 minutes or more, that's a challenge. Chairs are all right. So I'll let you sit for a minute, but let's talk about standing posture, and then let's just sort of jump to that sitting posture. So feet slightly apart. Got to have that sense that the spinal column is being gently pulled <laughs> from the crown of your head. This is sort of how we're doing it. I still do this with my college boy students. They know I'm going to come over and pull on them. I don't pull hard on them at all. But just that sense of lift. Okay, well, my boys have. 
<laughs> Some of them don't hit too much hail, so you have to grab onto them. When I do that, one of the things that happens in a voice lesson or in a choral rehearsal, the longer you sing, the more you hit. That's just the case. That's just gravity. So you're constantly having to check also all the time. Am I doing this? Am I thinking about this? Am I thinking that if I'm standing? Feet comfortably on the floor, usually one in front of the other, so that I feel that sense of pressure or fear if I look under the mat just to make sure. Okay. These are comfortably back. Okay. I don't want to get involved in breathing or anything. This is comfortably high. This is comfortable now here. Needs to also feel like there's another string. Like I tell my college students that you have to hold it. This is what we need to do. And if we're holding music, it's okay. But if we're not, we need to remind ourselves and check in. Okay. Why do we do all of that? Well, it looks great. <laughs> so we want choirs to look good and we want singers to look good. But we are getting out of the way of it. That's why we're doing all this. Yeah, it looks great. We're going to sing better. This whole laryngeal area is going to be clearer. But one of the main reasons we are thinking about the process, we're getting out of the way of the voice. Here's our gas pedal. We're doing this, and you know if you've carried groceries or you've carried purses or you've carried children, you know, you've probably done some of that as you go along. It's real easy to stand most of the way doing this. If you sit in a car lot, and I do that, I just do it to work, and I stand every day. I'm probably on the highway two miles or three miles every day from where I live to where I sit if I'm not careful. You know, by the time I get in at 7 o'clock, I'm, I'm doing self-check and think, mm -mm, mm -mm, because that's not healthy. I'm going to end up looking older than I am <laughs> and feeling older than I am before I really need to. So, all we do when we sit down is just maintain that. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do it right now, but right there in a minute. It's going to be hard for me to do that if I'm, back, if I'm all the way back here. Although, in these chairs you can because they're built correctly, but still the best thing to do is to just grab it how you need to. Okay? So, you're fine where you are right now. A lot of directors talk about different seating um, positions in terms of numbers. If you listen to Helen Kent very much, if you've seen her videos, if you've been around her, she'll talk about first positions, second positions, vice versa, and so forth. You know, and so yeah, that music sometimes in the first position. They have to. They have to be aware. And then this is another kind of position that's a little more aware and a little more alert. Boy, when you bring it up here. Or you don't, then you're going to have trouble. So don't even move any of your lap, the things you've got in your lap or any of that. Just move forward on the edges with. Think both feet on the floor and see immediately what happens on top of the string. Okay. <coughs> it's freer than it was when you were <gasps> all the way back here. And then the natural thing is to stay with your head. So from here, you should be able to do the same. And that's what you want for the majority of the rehearsal. We don't do to kids anymore what we were probably, I'm not going to say done unto, because that's the way I learned to sing. I never thought anything. I never thought about the fact that I wasn't supposed to stand and never stand half the time for rehearsal. Nobody told us any differently. We stood for the entire rehearsal. It's what you did in our generation. I'm 59. My husband is a little older than that, you know, and most of you are much younger than we are. But if you're in our vintage, you know, you just did it and you didn't ask why. 
Oh, but no, not during rehearsals. You you might do that when you dress. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. But it's not. You should have just done it. Well, there was a reason why we were asked to do that. It really did happen. And the alertness, the awareness, when you're on your feet, when you're focused on what the director's doing on screen, is amazing. And then there was this natural thing of doing this if you needed to stand all the time. But if he wanted to let you rest, which he did, he could do this just for a minute. I bet, I, I bet we don't. Well, think of the other things they sit behind. <laughs> well, this is a small thing. They don't sit behind this, but it's, it's in their hands. And they said sometimes you can't even have them in the because this is a huge one. Maybe, maybe not with this one. Not yet. 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 Um, but yes. And we had children's choir usually at the end of the day. It was 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock. No. Had the children eaten anything before? Okay. Well, that... Over, by Wednesday, they're, they're yeah, because they've already done Monday, Tuesday, 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 Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. I think that's a very good point mm -hmm. for us to do, but it's not necessarily, I feel like a lot of kids just, it's not just elevation loss that's going to affect their physical I think health. I think that's why for some reason we could choose the one, two, three, four, and five rather mm -hmm. than having to force them to mm -hmm. use the numbers and give them chances that's what I do. I'm not asking them to stand still. We practice it because I want to. I mean, that's what you're going to do in performance. And you don't want that to be the first time they've stood for 30 minutes. You have to kind of think about that because the fatigue factor itself, you know, is going to set in if kids haven't practiced standing up a little bit during that time. Um, I do fun things like just put the kids, I don't know how large a space we have, but put them against the wall all the way around with their back against the wall. Oh my gosh, I think I've stood four years with my back against the wall at Baylor in voice lessons. I mean, I remember her just saying, go to the wall, go to the door. And that she didn't say adjust this and this. She just said, go to the door, go to the wall. And I knew that when I went over there, everything <coughs> adjusted. You know, if this was almost touching the door or the wall, and these were almost touching, and my rear end was almost touching, then everything else was so sometimes just physical reminders, I don't know if that will help you at all. Some of the rest of you jump in. You've all had the same experiences. Yes, we are dealing with a fatigue generation, and it's starting younger and younger all the time. So are we talking children that are second, third, fourth, and fifth graders? First through fourth, okay. And they already have fatigue. And, and mm -hmm. daily life. Daily life, bad habits. I find with children, and you, I'm, I know you've already found that too, I'm, look, I, I'm seeing familiar faces. I, I've been coming to Avalia for for several years as a participant, sitting where you are, and I come because I know during this day between the two sessions, I'm going to get 
so much more ammunition for the year than I have had, and I will always <laughs> learn a lot. That I, I mean, that's what I call it because that for me, that's what it is. Those are more tools, those are more ammo that I can take back with me to do the things that I want. But coming through the back door, which I think that's what we've done a lot of times, works better than saying no. Okay. Sometimes just the physical reminder, going around and cleaning and come maintaining that, walking back over, maintaining it for five minutes. That's all you're going to get probably for some of that person that's not going to do it. Okay. But at least for that five minutes, they have understanding what it looked like, how it felt, and how it it, it was clear to them. Any of the rest of you have that same issue? I think that's a very good point to bring up is just that the students don't see that part of it. But she's got grandsons who are either doing, moving through college or her last one is starting college, junior college, or, or this coming fall in August. And she's been doing a lot of reading and been doing a lot of looking at electronic TV shows about how to do it. And we are creating a generation of ADD, not because the reticular dysfunction, what really causes ADD or ADHD, there's nothing wrong physiologically with these kids. They are environmentally they multitask and it's because they're looking at inanimate rather than animate things and the thing that powers their attention all the time is not eye contact it is not the physical voice it is not I'm not, I'm not stepping on toes college students right now I'm not, I'm not saying that because I know y'all are wonderful and you attend and you're focused and you haven't I mean you've been listening wonderfully but I'm I am concerned about my own I am very concerned, and every fall when we start, we're having more of a responsibility issue, coming into a classroom situation that still is very traditional, still is very much like the kind of classroom situation that we had when I was in college in the late 60s and the early 70s. Okay? We haven't changed a great deal of the way we taught. I mean, yeah, we've got computers in the next room. We've got the keyboard lab working and somehow we are, as professors, trying to figure out how we're supposed to get up here and do the song and dance so much that we can keep their focus on us and not have them look at their iPhone screen, okay? And be distracted by that thing that distracts them all the time, that thing that has their attention, that thing. I can't combat it. I don't know what to do about it. For the time that they're with me, I hope that they're with me. I hope that they're in school. I hope that they'll at least try to do some keep them busy, if you keep them moving, if you keep them singing and that sort of thing, then your, your chances are better that they'll be with you and they'll track with you so that they can keep up and they know how to do it. But yes, and yes, and preparation, we're just talking about preparation. And for me, it's time for prayer because I know every year when the freshmen and the transfers come, I'm going to have a little bit more difficulty than I had last year with the even in a college music ed course, and they don't, I have a freshman course at Foundation, Foundations and Principles, but I don't get to the methods course until the June of college. 
But even with all of that, I had to change activities within the system unit because I was eight or ten me. I, I do the same thing with my college students that I do when I have two kids in one and two. I, mm -hmm. I do the very same thing. And I know that they should have a longer attention span, actually, even as adults. Has anybody in here researched how long most adults' attention spans are? I hear with having those of you who are educators who've done a lot of research on that type of thing. Even as adults, when we've been trained to concentrate on something longer or read longer, our attention span concentrating on one concept or one activity is only about seven to eight minutes. For adults, okay, the very young kids, it's going to be three or four minutes. That's why, in, that's why when you have pre-K and K and one and two grade levels in children's college, you have to change activities so that they're all concentrated, okay? Then you do with three, four, five, and six or middle school and high school. But I'm finding my freshman and junior college students have the same issue with respect to their attention. So I'm, st I'm changing activities. We're going to the orcs, we're doing movement, we're singing, we're sulfating, right? I'm changing all the time because that's what the doctor wants. So me, and whatever works for the student, I will do anyway. Okay? The more of that I do, the longer their attention span tends to be. They're able to then concentrate. This is, I wasn't sure this was going to come up, but I had a feeling it would come up sometime during the day. Yes, ma'am. Or comment. practice and, and make games out of it and your, your kids will give you creative ways of encouraging them to do some of those. I mean, I go to the students a lot. Okay, help me figure out a way to help you. And they'll nearly always be able to tell me much better than I can tell them. That's why kids pushing kids is so miraculous. Because those kids are saying the same things we're saying, but they're saying it in a way that communicates with them. Because I do this all the time. I'm, I'm learning a whole lot about so posture change and sitting and breathing you know about, but let's, one of the things that I have found that, that works best for me, I think you can do this even if things are in your lap. You know, when we just put our hands at our waist, we do this most of the time. If we're just going to do this, okay. But for thinking about breathing for singing, turn your hands the other way. And many of you have been doing this. Do that just instinctively, okay. If you were standing, we would bend over. I will do it for you. You can do it too, but but if you bend over, you can feel the stretch in the back with these fingers. That's really important. You, you can't do it as well with your thumb back there. You need this around the wrist. Where you can go for your last ounces of breath at the end of a long phrase is back here. Mm -hmm. This is what, So that's why you want to do barrel breathing and breathe all the way out. So with hands here, let's take a good breath in. I'll count to eight on inhalation, and then we'll go on eight coming out. Okay, and I want you to feel all the way back here. Okay, here we go. In.
Could you feel some back here? Okay. So that, and of course, the thing you want to be conscious of with your kids is that this is not rocking and rolling. Y'all wonder why y'all are seeing everything. Y'all have been at this before. So this is in and out. This is not out. That's just one of a hundred thousand things you could do with this. But I found with any age, when I turned the hands the other way, this made a difference with them learning they had to grab it in the hand. So posture and breathing and an open throat. And the, 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 the way we get from an open throat and an open tongue in here is eyes. And the two that are most open are in and out. <laughs> so we start with like you have a pelican throat. So if you think of a little pelican, just visualize it. You've got it. That's the feeling you get. You feel that intent. Something on oxygen. I usually start with ooh. I turn it further out. I leave E and E till the end. E and E. Don't give you some feeling in here, even though you have an open throat. You feel it. Oh, you feel the thing. So I many times do ooh, ah, then we go to oh. So posture breathing, the open throat, resonance. I don't talk as much about resonance with younger children as I do some of the other things, but you, they need to know where their resonate motors are. You know, mostly right here. That's why we call this home alone. <laughs> this is what resonates. But do we have other resonators? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Chest voice. This is where chest voice resonates. It's where the bronchial tubes mm -hmm. are. Okay. So when you're in the lower partials of your register, this is where you're going to feel the resonance of the chest. But our main resonators are up here in the cavities there at the heart. And then the last is articulation and inhalation. We have diction with kids. Okay? Vowels and consonants are both involved when you deal with articulation and inhalation. And that's our resonators. We've talked a lot. I know I've got a lot of people listening here. <coughs> we need to take a break. So we're eight to nine this lesson. Is that right? And we need a break and then we'll pick them up so posture breathing, open throat with vowels, resonance, where they are, where the sound stems, where the sound shakes around and comes out, and then the articulators, lip, tongue, cheek, clear consonants, open vowels, very, very good diction. <coughs> um, just a little bit about vocal sound exploration. I mentioned it up in the top part, but I mentioned it down here again under uh, Roman numeral three, posture and breathing, warming up the body, sound exploration, warming up the voice. Um, we didn't do a whole lot with stretching. I know, so sad when you first came in. Um, but with your children, when they come to choir, do you have a minute to prepare the body before you prepare the voice in any kind of special fashion? You know, I love the rag doll. It's great at the end of the day at choir. Oh, we all need this. So that when you're over like this, or if the kids want to come up fast when you ask them to come up and work with them to come up vertebra, like vertebra, and then you say, what is that? <laughs> well, they know what they are. They can tell you that. So when you come up from this, where you're letting everything hanging go, because they're so fatigued and they can't do it, and they come up slowly, and they naturally, if they come up 
one vertebra, uh, vertebra on the way up here when you get into this position. It feels great to let it go and then come up slowly. You're ready to sing. You're in that singing posture because you're just coming in over your foot and landing on your foot. Um, <coughs> any kind of stretching works. Any kind of massages works. If you go up and down the line and then turn your back three quarters back and come around. Um, anything that's disciplined is all I know. Um, with vocal exploration, do you play it around with the voice for flexibility, for high and low, and for just succession singing? You're not approximating pitches when you're just playing around with your voice. If you're doing sirens, if you're doing hee-haw, hee-haw, you're not worried about pitches. You're just having fun with your voice. I used to think, I used to wonder why sometimes the little boys <laughs> had done more vocal exploration than the girls. And I kept thinking, well, yeah, because they've been going <laughs> with, with the cars and all of that. So all of that play, which it does at first, factors into vocal exploration factors into how well you know your own voice and how that's going to translate into a song that's memorable. So if you've got to give girls a chance to do this on the floor, do it. I don't care if you're three or four. I didn't grow up doing that, moving cars around. My sister loved that. You know, we had all that. She did more of that than I did. That was her major. It was her passion. You know, but kids need that exposure of playing with the voice. So sirens, hee-haws, Sound like Santa Claus, owls, train whistles, elevator sound, any of those things. Just speaking expressively. Oh, it's a wonderful Wednesday night. I hope that someone from the audience is like that. <laughs> you know, where did she come from? You know, and all of that. But playing around with things like that, you know. And we, we used to be able to say, you know, sound like Miss Jane Hathaway because our generation knew who Miss Jane Hathaway was from the Beverly Oh my gosh, that wonderful resonance. Miss Jane Hathaway, she was like that. That's the way she sounded all the time. That's not like that. Kids love to do that or sound like an opera singer. They love to play around and, and, and do that kind of silly stuff with their singing. What is that doing? Getting them more used to how the mechanism works of how the voice works. Imagery, we talked about that. The mystique of the voice is using pictures and visual kinds of things. Um, adding sound effects to songs and toys and that sort of thing. And then every chance that you have when you're doing vocal exploration to do something physical with it. Um, I don't know about all of this. So you, they, these things you can do by yourselves. You can do with partners. You can do them with the score. That helps you with singing. <laughs> and I've got little tiny cords that attach to keys and pencils and that sort of thing so that they can have those individually. I didn't pick up one. So when I do this, they've got something small they can play with. Keep in your pocket if they need it. There's rubber bands at the front. You don't have to go buy a bunch of stuff. Rubber bands at the front. You've got the other issue with rubber bands. So you pass them out. You take them up. You move them. Bean bags, tossing, singing, all that sort of thing. Anything you've got at home, at, you know, uh, at church that will work. Any of that works when you're doing vocal exploration. I'm, I'm almost done with the PowerPoint. Let you. Um, vocal leash is just to warm up the voice that line up the vowels. When we talk about alignment, because I, I know I have that on the outline, I have vowel alignment brings attention and vocal flexibility. Um, Betty, can you give me some more? I like the exercise that uses many vowels as well. So taking the word alleluia, 
always works when you're warming to it. Anytime you can find a song that has the word Alleluia in it, you have picked 90%. You have corrected 90% of your, of your problem. Alleluia. That's the Todd note. I'm going to throw in some Dylan. It's always Alleluia. The first time they do it, they will sing what? Lay. something else in there. Hallelujah. I sometimes do that to get you in there. But find exercises that use all the vowels. A-L-E-O-E. Let me emphasize. Take it up, take it down. Higher range, lower range. But those vowels will fix themselves if they're listening to each other and listening to one another. They have to listen to the recite of them and they also have to listen to themselves. So it's not just fixing themselves, it's also blending and balancing each other out at the same time. Those work as well. Tons of other exercises for you. That's one of my favorites. Um, use of solfege, which we'll talk about with Todai and Orf if you're here later in the morning. I can't say enough about the solfege syllables for aligning vowels. Mm -hmm. We don't just use those to figure out what pitch we're in and where we are on the scale and all of that. Mi, re, do. Okay, so we need it. Mi, re, mi, do, re, do, do. Solfege syllables with the hand signs do so much more for us vocally than we realize. Sometimes we don't concentrate on what the, the syllables are doing for us vocally, but they work for so many. I love solfege for so many reasons. That's one of them right there. But I love it. Um, I gave you a handout, and if you'll look at the copyright on it, you'll probably say, Doug McClure, <laughs> it's been a long time since 1977. Haven't things changed a lot? <laughs> Not when you're dealing with kids who have trouble making sense. Things don't change. The rules don't change. The things that work don't change. The problems don't change, unfortunately, for whatever reason. Physiological, psychological, maturation. Whatever those reasons are, my children may not be able to match pitch when they first come to the class. We have to address all those things. Um, Debbie, can you come? I want, I, want, I want Holy Tent to kind of finish this up in just a minute. Because for, for me, she is, she is the guru. She is still the person I go to for all things wonderful about the voice and wonderful about working with children. And yes, she's in her 90s. And yes, she's still teaching. And yes, she's still consulting. And yes, she's still directing choirs. And she amazes me. <laughs> I don't know if you were here at Baylor for Hallelujah two or three years ago, but she was here and her daughter was here with her. She had more energy than any of the rest of us put in the office. Lately, you know, she just, you know, maybe that's what singing does with kids. I'd like to think that if we sing for our lifetime, we're going to end up getting to have the kind of life that we want. That's not the point. Debbie's going to come. I wanted you to just see a snip about what she says about uncertain singing. And all of that. And then we'll talk a little bit more in some other episodes. And then right quick before we go, I'm going to do a real quick little closing song of hymns. Let's see if we can find her. What she says about and what she does with helping kids find pitch, I think, is the best. Anyone who deals with on-audition choirs, with children at an age when they should all be included, you are
aren't going to have a variety pack. Those who sing too high, those who sing too low, those who are wanderers, it's normal. Okay, let's take it one step higher. And first of all is identification. Some simple things of chanting, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then you'll hear one, two, three, four, five, six, or you'll hear one, two, three, four, five. And immediately, you can, with your ears, identify and see where your job is. Where your job is. I love it. And I do a lot of, of the kind of warm-ups that every boy choir, every choir. I'll keep her going. He's going to get upset. I'm going to get upset. He's getting upset. I love what she said. Are you listening? I love it. We do that. And we'll talk about, should we pull those kids out in front of you over here? Do you want to do that? We have special ways we can work with kids when they're just like that. All of that works. And yes, that was a real thing for you, Dave. I gave you the article for that. I thought I may not have time to read all the way through the article with you all. Reasons why we have the problem. We have to know that. We have to look at, you know, do we have reasons why we have kids who can't walk straight? And then what I love about this article is immediately on page two, I have a solution. Here they are, 20 of them. I can find any of these 20, any or all. I match see what works with, in, in, with different kids because the same thing doesn't work. And move on. Thank you so much. You've been wonderful. It's early in the morning, and y'all, and I appreciate the fact that we're dialoguing because this is class to me. This is what I would do at church. This is what I would do in public school, where I was for many years. This is what I would do in college. Um, I'm going to sing just half of a closing song with you, and if I see you the, re the rest of the day, we'll learn the rest of it. Father, and you'll respond. listening to this podcast. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia.